The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. It's Listener Questions Live here on the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. Hey, everyone. How's it going? I'm Anthony Kazenza, and I'm joined by my partner in crime, John Sheeran, with a little bit more of a toned-down background behind him. Uh, no Randall, no no decorations. Uh, kind of a sign of the times a little bit, right, John? Yeah, me and Randall are practicing social distancing. I don't know what, what he has going on there, so I'll let him be himself for the next couple weeks, and I'm going to do me. So, yeah. Well, seeing seeing I don't wanna I don't wanna judge a book by its cover, but seeing the appearance of Randall, maybe it is a good idea that you social distance from him a little bit. I don't, who knows what he's sure. doing, like you said. Well it's good good to talk with you, man. I know it's kind of a weird time. Good to talk with everybody who's tun- tuning in live and or tuning in after the fact. Uh trying to give you some content as you maybe try and pass the time. Some of you may be working remotely. Some of you may be working on the front lines in grocery stores, et cetera. Thank you for your, and of course, the first responders, healthcare workers. Thank you for doing what you're doing during this time. Um, But a lot of people are kind of expressing a little bit of boredom. Football is really the only sport that's taking place and generating news, John. And believe it or not, the Cincinnati Bengals are generating quite quite a few headlines here as free agency kicked off. We're gonna get to a number of questions. You can get them to us in a number of different ways, including the live chats via Facebook or YouTube if you're watching us that way. We'll be monitoring the live chat on CincyJungle.com, the post there. We'll be monitoring our Twitter account, at BanglesOBI. We'll be monitoring our our, uh, text and call line, 949-542-6241. So get to us there. We'll also try and look at some emails as well. Uh, coming through. So get to us, get your questions to us how you can. We'll be here for a little bit. We'll answer as many as possible. Um, regardless, thank you for being with us. And it is it is great talking some bangles with you. Just before we get to everything, um, John, I, I think we should probably maybe lay out the landscape as to what the Bengals have done to this point. Um, outside signings, they signed defensive tackle DJ Reader signed a pair of Vikings cornerbacks and Trey Waynes and Mackenzie Alexander. Um, they re-signed Tory McTire. They re-signed, uh, what is it, Tony Brown, the other cornerback. They re-signed him previously to mm-hmm. a, a one-year deal. They signed outside free agent Xavier Suofilo, the offensive lineman. 
Um, so really kind of those, there's four big outside guys. They also added Michael Thomas, not the Saints Michael Thomas, the other Michael Thomas from the Rams. They added him on a one-year kind of minimum type of deal as another outside guy. They really have yet, John, to kind of re-sign many of their own high-profile guys. Um, to, to my knowledge, Nick Vigil, Tyler Eifert are, are still out there. Darquez Denard um, went to Jacksonville. He is now there. And, uh, you know, he has, he has departed. Am I missing anybody else? I, I know they cut John Miller, um, the offensive lineman there. Uh, what, what else am I missing? And they cut B.W. Webb, and that's about go. it. And there's a reason why they haven't really re-signed anybody. It's because they're not good. And Tyler Eifert may be the exception to that rule, and they're going to see what his market is like with this kind of barren tight end market at the moment. He might be coming back. So is Nick Vigil. He might be coming back on like a one-year deal. But there's, there's, there's a reason why those guys are still available. Yeah, there's question marks. There are question marks there for both guys. Um, you know, different different respective question marks, but question marks nonetheless, and that's why they're still floating out there. Let's get to some of these, John. If you uh if are you ready? Are you do you need I'm, to, I'm you're good. Ready? You're good. All right. Let's start with uh some of these from we're gonna we're gonna lead off with our good friend Cody Toomey, Cody Kai, C-O-D-I-K-I. He's been on this show, it's been a while. Um, but he is a, a Bengals Twitter favorite, a guy who likes to interact there. He interacted with it with us. What would it take to trade from for the Bengals to trade from pick 33 to more of the late 30s, mid 40s range? Before I kind of give my full take, John, I mean, my thing with it is who's there at the at the right. time? Uh, you know, if if there are a slate of really good players or really good projected players. And a lot of players that Phil needs, offensive linemen, maybe Queen and Murray are available for some reason. You can move back and maybe get a King's Ransom by just moving back six or so spots and still be able to get a top tackle, a top linebacker. But if the, if the pickings are slim as well and someone wants to move up, there's an argument to be made there. Hey, you know, there's not – we're not going to reach for a guy here. Let's move back, maybe accumulate another pick. So to me, it really depends on – and I guess this is a real – <laughs> fence writing answer but it depends on who's there and what of course is being offered but I, I think it's more predicated on who's there or who is not there in terms of what needs to be offered it's uh we have some precedent looking at past deals that the Bengals have made trading back in the second round last year when they did with drew sample they went back from i think the 40th spot or like the 42nd spot to the 52nd spot that took a fourth round pick and a sixth round pick uh, preferably I would like a third round pick if you're going to trade back about seven to 10 spots from the top of the third round or the top of the second round, excuse me. That is a very valuable spot because teams are looking at who is still on the board after that first round uh, concluded. There's going to be a handful of first round prospects that I think the league wide consensus will consider them to that level. And that's where the intri intrigue is going to keep up. And if the Bengals can get a third round pick, I think they're going to be definitely interested in that because at this moment they only have seven picks and I think they would definitely prefer to have more than that. And like you said, if they, if they don't have a prospect that they love at the top of the second round and they're able to get a third round pick, uh, I think that's definitely likely. I think a fourth round pick and maybe a high day three pick, another high day three pick can also be in consideration with that. But like you said, depends on who's there, preferably a third round pick. If they can get a fourth round pick and a cup and one or two more day three picks, I think that's also in the cards as well. Yeah. And the other variable here before we move on to the next question, uh, I, I guess I'm not really giving a solid answer because the variables are fluid as to what what could be done here the 
the other aspect to it is what the Bengals are able to do or unable to do with Andy Dalton. Um, and, and I guess we can transition there. Uh, we got a text from 513 area code. There is a, a comment, you know, are we stuck with Andy for this year? That sort of thing. I mean, I, I think to, to the initial question from Cody, I think that also plays into the fact if the Bengals are able to get something for Andy Dalton in that, you know, round three, round four range. If, if someone comes calling, uh, you know, they may be willing to say, you know, we got that pick. We're going to sit at 33 and take the best guy there. Or if they aren't able to get anything for Dalton, that may prompt a trade for them as well. So what we now, as, as a week or so have, has gone on for free agency, John, we've got basically everybody we thought that could be interested in Andy Dalton services, the Colts, hmm. the Bears, um, you know, the Patriots, they're seemingly, the market has seemingly cooled on Andy Dalton. Uh, maybe the Bengals asking price was too high. Maybe the demand really wasn't just there. Maybe the leverage for the Bengals isn't there, but what's next for Andy Dalton? What's next for the Bengals as Patriots have Brian Hoyer, Nick Foles went to Chicago, Indianapolis got Phillip Rivers. I mean, Brady went to Tampa Bay. There, there are a lot of teams that could have used a veteran guy like Dalton and have made moves already. Yeah. And going off, like going off of that, and I'm just going to, I'm going to address specifically stone gaming TV's question. Is it getting too late to trade Andy Dalton? I think it is too late to trade Andy Dalton. There is no hmm. viable spots where I think he would prefer to go because his whole thing here was that he still feels he's capable of starting. And then you trade him with that $17.7 million cap hit. Ideally you would think you'd be in the mix to start for a team, but there are no realistic starting spots available. I think you would look at Jacksonville as a team that has Jay Green as their offense coordinator and only has Gardner Minshew as their starting quarterback. I think they're in a, a position where they're trying to see what they have in Minshew before they potentially target a top quarterback in next year's draft because they have capital to make a move of, of that nature. I think there are some intriguing spots where he can be a high-end backup and have a, a type of a Ryan Tannehill type potential situation there. But ideally, I don't think any team would like to take that on with that cap. I think if you... If you trade for Andy Dalton at this point, you expect him to compete for a starting job this year. I don't think there's any real realistic spots available. I know that Kyle Allen, the Panthers quarterback, just got traded to the Redskins for a fifth-round pick. I think that's a special scenario because Ron Rivera is now the head coach of the Redskins. He's the one who drafted Kyle Allen in the first place. He obviously value, values him as a backup. I think, again, the Jaguars seem to be like that ideal situation where you have a former uh, Andy Dalton coach there to potentially develop or keep him as a backup. But with that price, I think the market for him has completely dwindled. It's now to the point where you would take anything you can get for Andy Dalton at this point because, you know, they, they, they pushed their luck with the Bears. They tried to get one of their second-round picks. They didn't want to get, They didn't want to just take that fourth-round pick, and the Bears ultimately went with Nick Foles in that situation. So the market for Andy Dalton has completely dried up. It's now just a matter of when if he gets released because I don't think they're going to want Andy Dalton and Joe Burrow in the same quarterback room. I, I, don't, I think they want to have Tannehill and, and Dolagallo compete for – backer reps at that point and have the room completely be dominated by Burrow as the unquestioned starter and not have Andy Dalton around in any capacity. Right. And that, uh, I was going to, I was going to go there because a lot of people are asking, you know, could he be our John Kitna? And, you know, what about the value of holding on to a veteran to, to go with Burrow? Look, Joe Burrow is going to be close to mid twenties by the time he's, I mean, he, he's an older rookie. Uh, so you're not getting a you know a 20 year old a 21 year old that that may be viewed as a little raw. You're actually getting the guy that the question mark is more. He he hit his stride later. Uh, you know it, it's not really the the youth 
thing uh, that, that's the question mark with, with Burrow. So, you know, I, I think that Dalton probably, and to your point, John, I don't think keeping Dalton around, I, I don't, I don't think Dalton would even want to be around in that scenario. You can right. tell how unhappy he was when he lost his job to Finley. Then he's going to come back and kind of be, you know, this lame duck quarterback on this team. And, you know, who knows what that does to, I, I'd like to think Burrow is very mentally tough based on what we've seen, but, you know, who knows what that does in that quarter, having both those guys in the same quarterback room, et cetera, et cetera. You get to choose the next one, my friend. Okay. We're going to go to the Facebook live chat from Drew Francis. If Drake or Patrick and William Jackson third stay, which seems to be like the likely scenario at this point, what does that mean for Darius Phillips? He deserves more playing time. Uh, I think it was alluded that Phillips is going to compete for time as a slot cornerback. They brought in Mackenzie Alexander to, you know, be the penciled in starter at that point, but he's only on a one-year deal. You still have two years left of Darius Phillips. I think the team definitely does like what he has because, you know, you can't have four interceptions and only a hundred snaps without having some ounce of ability and some ability to press for more playing time. I think he's his spot on the roster is definitely safe. And just, just look at what happened last year, man. Like their depth at cornerback was completely dwindled. You only had Phillips available for the end of the year. And even he was on injured reserve for eight weeks. So, I think they really value cornerback depth at this point. This is why Kirkpatrick is more likely than not going to stay around unless something happens, you know, and they get a, a decent trade offer later down the road. Uh, Phillips is definitely a crucial depth piece in their minds. And if something happens like last year, he can definitely get some significant snaps. I, I don't disagree with anything you, you really said there. I, I think Phillips deserves some increase in snaps. Obviously the injury and, and other things that occurred to him were, were a hindrance, but this, that's who this guy was when he was in college. Playmaker, playmaker, playmaker. I mean, he 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 was a touchdown machine. He was the guy. Um, was I, I think he was the guy that scored multiple touchdowns in various mm -hmm. ways, um, basically every way possible as a as a defensive player and special teams guy. He he scored. So he's translating that to the to the NFL, which is great to see. Hopefully that arc continues to move forward and he remains healthy. Again. He, even if he is the number four cornerback, he's going to see more snaps than he was at the onset of the season. Uh, really, he, he saw more time at the end of the year because of injuries and whatnot. The one thing I think that this points to, whatever Phillips' role is, it's probably going to be higher profile than it was initially in 2019. But the Bengals retaining Brandon Wilson and the Bengals probably having some relatively high hopes for Darius Phillips and his playmaking ability – this may be the end for Alex Erickson because they may rely mm -hmm. on those two guys. I know it's completely a different subject, but those two guys were returning punts and kicks at, or at least kickoffs at a Pro Bowl type level. The Bengals may opt to use both those guys as return men, spot defensive players, and then make, make Erickson expendable. Maybe they draft another receiver to add to that group as a replacement. So, I, I kind of look at it from that angle a little bit in terms of Phillips, but uh, good, good uh, stuff there, John. Let's go with, and I saw, I think it was Mr. Sinister in the live YouTube chat as well as our friend Waldo underscore Roran at on Twitter, basically talking about a Sean Williams replacement or a Sean Williams role switch. Um, basically, should the Bengals have maybe a bit more of another 
Jesse Bates-ish athletic center fielder type of safety back there. Move Sean Williams more in the box to a linebacker, you know, kind of like what Mark Barron did later in his career, that sort of thing. Or should he just be gone, get that salary off the books, and look for somebody in the draft? I, I mean, I think there's still value there for Sean Williams, but for most of the year, I was very disappointed in the safety play until Bates started really kind of stepping up towards the back portion of the year. Both those guys took a step back from 2018, but uh, Sean Williams in particular. Yeah, I think that the team still values Sean Williams as a leader and as a, a steady, consistent player on the back end. Um, it's interesting because Clayton Fajedalum jettisoned from Miami, and now your safety depth is a little bit up in the year because your fourth safety right now on the roster is Trayvon Henderson, who has never taken a regular season snap, even though I think there's potential there as some type of a center field type safety that can do a lot what Bates can do. But right now you just have Brandon Wilson as your backup safety and Sean Williams is only one year left on this contract. Again, I think they still value who Sean Williams is. And I don't, I don't think it's likely that he's going to get cut in the way that George Aloka did because they don't have a replacement right now. Um, if they look into the draft and maybe, pick up a guy like Xavier McKinney at the top of the second round, maybe a Grant Delpit falls there. There's an opportunity where one of those guys is best best player available and you have more flexibility from the future outlook at that position. And then Sean Williams doesn't really become a priori- priority to resign in 2021. But yeah, I think last year Williams saw a decrease in, in, in the quality of his play because you were playing him more in the box and he was essentially a full-time linebacker at that point because you were in a lot of these single high sets we just had Bates kind of handling center field alone, and you have Williams as the overhang defender. He's on his best play is when he can come down from a cover two shell and be a run defender. Like he's a decent coverage guy, but he's great when you have a lot of space in front of him and he's able to diagnose things quickly. When you the closer you bring him into the box, the more he becomes hesitant, and you see a lot of missed tackles, bad angles. We saw that in the preseason, and it kind of trickled into the regular season. So there's a lot of talk about you know Sean Williams becoming this full time linebacker, but when that was the case, he really kind of had his worst season. So hopefully you would think he would bounce back because he's a veteran at this point and they trust his leadership there. But I think this is a big year for him. And the fact that they don't have a lot of depth there, it does make it a question of whether or not they address it in the draft. Yeah. And there are some talented guys, as you mentioned in the, in this year's class, this is the orange and black insider Bengals podcast. We're coming at you with some live Bengals Q and a hope you're enjoying yourself, whether you're on quarantine or whatever may be going on with you. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for those of you joining us live and submitting questions. We're going to get to a handful more here as we as we stick around for a couple more minutes. If you're new to the program, subscribe to our channels, either our YouTube channel, or you can get our program on a number of different audio platforms, most of the major ones, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, all that stuff. So download the program, subscribe to our channels, get notified when we go live, get notified when new content is available, whether it's our show whether it's Matt Minnick's Chalk Talk or Orange is the New Black, the podcast that's also part of our channel, hosted by Zim Hude and Ace Boogie. What you got next, John? Uh, let's go back to Facebook. Our good friend of the program, Mike Holbrook, is asking any linebackers worth going after. And this was, I think, a popular topic right now. Um, the linebacker market is extremely barren. There's actually a couple of guys that went off the market uh, before we went on the air. I believe T- here Whitehead went to the Carolina Panthers on a one-year deal other than that, I think you're looking at Josh Bynes and Patrick on, on Winnesaur, who are both former Ravens at this point. Ravens are looking to rehaul their linebacking group as well. I think either guy, again, doesn't push the needle in terms of you don't have to address linebacker in the draft now. It's just you want some, you want some type of stability there because right now you only have 
Jermaine Pratt, Jordan Evans, and um, Brody Sheldon, who I don't even think took any snaps in 2019. But they're looking to completely rehaul that position group. And, you know, you would you would want bodies there. But, again, I don't think it's an, a necessity to go out and get a linebacker that may or may not be good enough to make the final roster at this point. So I, I don't I don't think we should, you know, condemn the Bengals for not addressing the position if there just wasn't a fit there. I think there's definitely potential to grab somebody in the draft in the early parts of the draft that can add athleticism to that group. But if they want to sign a Josh Bynes or again or or, or on one of sore, I think it's again, it's not the worst thing you can do. I think it's just the bare minimum at this point because of who's available. But at this point, it doesn't seem like a question really worth answering because there's just nobody there that's going to make an impact. Vigil still available, as we said at the onset of the show. That question you addressed, John, also kind of echoed a text we got from area code 304 asking about the linebackers left on the market. So a lot of questions here. I want to transition that into, again, more some more questions we're receiving both live and ones we had before we took the air. You know, I'm seeing Dave Roberts. Where do you guys see linebacker help coming from? Potentially pick 33. Um, you know, I saw some people talking about Patrick Queen earlier. We had a tweet from Tyler Olson. Uh, he asked a couple of good questions, but we'll we'll kind of, since we're talking linebackers, we'll go with the second part of his questions that he asked. Basically, he said, would you rather have Murray or Queen at 33 or Austin Davis Gaither and Willie Gay Jr. in, in rounds three or four? I really like both scenario, to, to preface that personally. I, I I think if he can get Murray or Queen at 33 and or you get Davis Gaither and Willie Gay Jr. in more of the middle rounds, that's you know, that bulks up your your group exponentially. I am I know there are concerns about Kenneth Murray. Is he more a workout freak than a guy who actually plays linebacker? You know, is he a I hate to use the term look like Tarzan play like Jane as some old school scouts would, would say about some of these guys, you know, does he look great out there physically? He looks good, but some of the production doesn't measure Patrick queen. You know, he was a guy that really wasn't on many people's radars until that team started to really ascend and take off towards the end of 2019. So there are questions there also size for queen, but people say Patrick Queen could be an Isaiah Simmons light. You can move him around quite a bit, and he can do some things. Davis Gaither, talented guy, a little light in terms of what you would like from the position group, but he's also hurt, so that's that's not great. The Bengals have visited with him, so they have an interest there. And Willie Gay Jr., John, you profiled him on one of our shows. My thing is I sit here, John, I want to get your thoughts too. For for a very long time, now these are these all appear to be pretty good players uh, to differing degrees for very, you know, for a very long time, this team has more or less settled at that position where they they have more or less kind of let guys fall to them, you know, particularly in the third round. And some of these guys we got excited about Jermaine Pratt, he showed some things last year, but you can go to PJ Dawson and you can, you get the list goes on and on for these third round guys that did not pan out. My thing is, you need immediate impact guys this year. You need them. If you want to make this, if you want to make this a competitive turnaround, an immediate competitive turnaround, you've got to get impact guys. And I think even though Davis Gaither and Willie Gay give you quite basically round out the position relatively well, I think you go for more of the potential higher impact guys in Murray and Queen at 33, even though it's one of them versus two somewhat promising prospects. 
Yeah, I think I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the concerns of Murray because that's more where I'm training right now. I think with Murray, you're looking at potentially a situation where it's going to be a lot like Malik Jefferson, where you just hope that his head is screwed on right and he's able to diagnose it. Yeah, and like I think that I, honestly, that's honestly where I would start considering Murray. I, I love the athleticism that he brings, just like I love what Malik Jefferson was. But you look at a guy who's just kind of scared of making contact and scared of taking on blockers. And uh, and honestly, at this point, I, I think it's good for Kenneth Murray to come out in 2020 rather than just 2016 or 2017 because we had this discussion on Twitter the other day with uh, Chris Trapasa, who's a CBS Sports Draft um, um, prospect breakdown kind of guy, and he's saying like. He's not that big of a fan of Murray either, but he brought up the point of there is a lot of value in, in guys who you can designate as quarterback spies and, and situational blitzers. And I think the Bengals, out of most teams in the NFL, would definitely value a guy like that for having to play Lamar Jackson twice a year. A guy like Kenneth Murray is useful in certain situations like that, but you just look at guys like Patrick Queen and Willie Gay Jr. and even Akeem Davis Gaither, who are just more well rounded and you can trust them to do multiple things. So I think Davis Gaither fits more in the lines of a Zach Bond, where the Bengals could definitely be interested in guys who can do multiple things and can be, you know, chess pieces in a in a multiple front who can also blitz off the edge as well as dropping back in the coverage. Queen and Gay seem like the kind of guys that you would trust not only attacking downhill, but laterally as well. And they can trust their eyes a little bit with their athleticism. Murray is just a big wild card right now because unfortunately you like the things that you know you like his explosiveness you like his ability to track down screens or whatever but literally everything else about the linebacker position that you would want out of a linebacker there's a lot of question marks and a lot more question marks than you would want for a guy to take 33 and to answer asap 2118's question do you guys think they'll trade up for a linebacker in the late first round even if a guy like queen is there I think they're going to value the draft capital a lot more than just taking a guy like Queen, who unfortunately just has question marks in its own. Unless they have this random surge and surplus of draft capital before the draft, I don't think we're going to see a trade-up in the first round, even for a linebacker. Agreed. TSF for the next one. Uh, let's go back to the private chat. This is an interesting one um, from, let's see here. Oh, yeah. Um, so from Ken... Uh, was it Ken Dimple who's te- yeah. texting this? Yeah, yeah, yeah. from um, from Ken Dimple. The chances, the benefits of a rental deal for Jason Peters. Uh, Jason Peters is still on the market right now. A longtime Eagle All Pro player. Uh, e- even with Peters, I think coming out and saying this the, the today or yesterday that he was open to playing right tackle. I think the Bengals are content enough at the at the tackle position at least going into the draft they like what fred johnson is they like him in terms of competing with bobby Hart at right tackle they're obviously enamored with with jonah williams at left tackle he's not getting questioned as a starter jason pierce wants to go into a position where he can legitimately start or be the guy that just starts in place for a younger guy who's maybe not ready yet and if fred johnson is all you have at right tackle and you don't have bobby Hart, then i think there's a chance that jason pierce makes sense but i think with both tackle situations being pretty much set Going into the draft, I think Jason Peters would be better off someplace else, at least in the Bengals' eyes. Like, I would love Jason Peters. I think he can be an obvious upgrade at right tackle over what they have. And even if Jonah Williams, you know, may- maybe not be completely ready to go, I think having Peters at, to, to slide in left tackle would also be good. But I think in the Bengals' eyes, they're not really looking at Peters, no. Look, look, whether we like it or not, the Bengals have made it known they are far more comfortable with the state of their offensive line than we on the outside are. They've made that. They've said that multiple times this offseason. They are really hanging their hat on Jonah Williams coming back, and, and it, it makes sense. Jonah Williams coming back, playing well, being healthy. They think they made the right move, whether it's 
Suofilo coming in as a starter. We've seen money that the, some of the contract numbers show that maybe it's not starter money. It's more kind of depth rotational spot starter money. But they think if he was to start over John Miller, that's probably an upgrade in their eyes and or what they plan to do in the coming month or so, whether it's in the draft or whatever. They, they like the state of the offensive line. I just – I don't see them – bringing in high-profile rental guys unless situations get dire as they did last offseason when tackles are dropping off like flies. You got a retirement from Clint Bowling, that sort of thing that you didn't foresee. So I, I, they just seem to like – I'm not as comfortable with it as they are, but uh, they, they seem to be more comfortable with the state of their offensive line group going forward than, uh, than we are. We've got a text from Dan – from Tennessee. Uh, good to hear from Dan. Oh, you're not going to like this one, John. Uh, do you see a contract extension soon for Joe Mixon? And I feel good about our depth at running back. I want to get your answer on that. Cause I know, and for good reason, we saw what happened with Todd Gurley recently, multiple extensions to running backs can be very dangerous. The Bengals also, before I, I let you chime in, John, the Bengals also gave an update, I want to say about maybe a week and a half, two weeks ago, Rodney Anderson, mm-hmm. the guy who played very well in limited preseason snaps and unfortunately got hurt, apparently is way ahead of schedule in terms of his rehab of the uh, the ACL injury, the one he retore this preseason. Now, not necessarily something you want to just say, hey, that guy's ready for major action, but... You know, Geo's still Geo. He can help you out on a number of different fronts. You don't really know what you got from Travion Williams, but the coaches seem to like him. If Rodney Anderson is back, you know, there, there's a stable behind Joe Mixon if something happens. But Joe Mixon, there are there are major pluses and minuses to a potential contract extension for him. Yeah, and we also got a question from Dean Berg. Do you guys even want to extend Mixon? These yeah, so I got that's wait, wait. wrong, yeah. right? Yeah, right. Is but it paying running backs, should it? Right. And he says, because paying running backs almost never work. I'll be honest. Right now, as it stands, I wouldn't hate a Joe Mixon extension because of what happened with the running back market. Right now, there's not if Ezekiel Elliott was a free agent right now, or if the Cowboys were thinking about extending him, he would not get the money that he got last offseason. The running back market has completely tanked. You saw Melvin Gordon get $8 million a year on the on the open market. You saw Todd Gurley take a $5 million one-year deal with, with the Falcons. But that is about where the market is right now. It is completely tanked under $10 million. And I think the $8 million range is perfect for Joe Mixon. If the, and, but only if the Bengals were completely desperate to pay him. And I think that they are in a great position to still not pay him because you still have Gio, Giovanni Bernard is making like the, the sixth or fifth most in terms of average salary for running backs right now. And that's after Todd Gurley um, was traded and had to take that pay cut. Like David Johnson got traded away for like pennies in the DeAndre Hopkins trade. So obviously they don't value him very much. Like you said, paying running backs a significant amount of money never works. And it's because they just don't, they don't carry the value that they used to in the, what the NFL is right now. And we can all love and, you know, cherish what Joe Mixon is and we can recognize that he's slightly more valuable than the average running back because what he can do on his own, the, the, the potential of him as a pass catching back has never been realized, but there is still potential for what he was at Oklahoma. But I think with where the running back market is now, I'm much more comfortable giving Joe Mixon that four year, eight to eight and a half million dollar deal compared to what, you know, he would try to get 
coming off of an in in Ezekiel Elliott type of contract. I don't think the Bengals were ever going to give him, you know, over $40 million or $30 million guaranteed money. I don't think that was ever going to be a possibility. We might have even seen a holdout if that was the case. But I think with where the running back market is now, Mixon has to realize that that's just the reality that he's in. And I think the Bengals would be much more comfortable with that. But I still want to see what, you know, Travion Williams is. I still want to see a Rodney Anderson is because if both those guys can stay healthy and be the running backs that they were in college, there really is just no need to pay Jim Mixon that money. You, you would rather spend that money on another offensive lineman or a linebacker or even another pass rusher in that sense because those guys just have more value than even a guy like Joe Mixon has. Yeah, the one thing I want to say that kind of plays into the, the corner of a, of a Joe Mixon, now there, there are a lot of the intangible stuff. You know, he seems to kind of be a leader. He's kind of the rah-rah guy. He seems to like being in Cincinnati. All those things kind of say, okay, he's obviously productive coming off two straight 1,100-yard seasons. He's done, especially the last two years, he's done a lot with a little in front of him, But whether it's he's the focal point of the offense because of quarterback injuries or ineffective play, ineffective play on the offensive line. He's done and made plays in the receiving game. But, you know, you worry about the long-term effects of a running back. I will say this, 178 rush attempts as a rookie. They've He hasn't had the amount, you know, the 300, 350 amount of, uh, touches as some of these, or or runs as some of these other running backs, the Le'Veon Bells, the the Todd Gurleys, as of yet. So I, I guess in that respect, why I bring that up, that makes me a little bit more comfortable that there's still some life left or some some productive years left that you can still get out of it because you kind of eased him into this starting role. Still, I would be very hesitant. I agree with you that you have to be very careful in what you pay a guy like that. I would not be opposed if the Bengals sign him, but it would need to be a two or three year deal. And it would need to be something like you said, probably in that six to 8 million per year range, something that's, that makes them comfortable and it makes sense, but yeah, I'm, I'm getting these comments, man. Like you're here, a Joe Mixon hater, John. It sounds like you, you, taking away Mixon would completely just, these are the same things the Rams fans have said about Todd Gurley. Just, just keep in mind, don't be on the wrong side of history here. It right. almost never works. It basically never works. So just keep that in mind, guys. It, it almost, it, you're right. There are, in terms of the current NFL landscape, there are very few times it works. And, and the, even the examples I can think of and Adrian Peterson, something like that, generational talent and a guy that you know was just an anomaly in terms of of that and those extensions took place years ago so i mean this isn't today this isn't now i see the argument to be made for both sides i would like just because i kind of like his personality and what he and what he has done for the Bengals in, in the offense i'd like to see him in a in a <laughs> in a situation where he's the running back that has a better offensive line in front of him, has a more capable quarterback play in front of him, and and maybe these injuries don't show up around him so much. But I also, you know, from a team perspective, I think they have to be very careful. And like I said, I think no more than a two- or three-year extension would do it. And then after that even, you, you got to say, well, thanks, but uh, we're, we're done. You know, yeah. I, I think that's kind of the case. Let Pick the next one, and I think we'll, we'll get out of here in a minute. Hmm. Oh, um, so I think this was, yeah, I think this was, um, something that, um, it was part of the, part of the questions that we answered earlier, but we, we kind of skipped over. I'm, I'm kind of interested in this one though, from Tyler Olson again, where would John Ross rank in this year's wide yeah. receiver class? Um, do, do you want to take the reins on that? Hard to say, uh, John Ross, when he came out, 
a couple of years ago, he was one of my favorite guys in the draft. You know, a lot of people were talking about Corey Davis and I watched a lot of John Ross in college because he went to Washington. I just watched more Pac-12 football. I watched a lot of him and I watched uh, the other, you know, his, his teammate Pettis, who was also a very productive guy. And those guys were dominant, dominant players. So he was one of my favorite guys in that draft. Uh, I, I liked him and Mike Williams of the Chargers the most in that draft. Um, both came with significant question marks, but those were my top two guys in that draft this year. And I guess, you know, you jade it because of what we've seen from Ross as a pro. Definitely, if he was to come out with the workout that he had, you know, the 40 time and, the, and some of the numbers that he had, I still think he would probably, he probably wouldn't be top 10 as he was that year, but I would say he'd be a top 20 pick. Um, I would say he'd be in that conversation where, you know, you're talking about Denzel Mims and his ascension in the draft. You're talking about some of these other guys, the Alabama trio, all these guys. Um, I would say he's probably in the top five of the position group this year and probably top 20 pick, uh, just kind of spitballing. Yeah, and I think the where the wide receiver class is this year is very interesting and in how it's evolved, where you have potentially five or six first-round picks. I don't think that was the wide receiver class was that populated in the first round when Ross came out. He was like that clear number three, I guess, when the draft rolled around behind Corey Davis and Mike Williams. But you would you would probably have a discussion comparing him to Henry Ruggs, who brings similar mm-hmm. skill sets. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people would prefer Ruggs because he's maybe more physical and maybe you can do more things with him. But people have to remember Ross was extremely productive in his final year in Washington. He had like 17 touchdowns. And you, don't have that, you don't have that just by being like a, a deep threat. You're a legitimate red zone option at that point. That's what he was, even with a guy like Jake Browning as his quarterback. So there was a lot of things that Ross was underrated as receiver. Like you said, the, the look on him is just jaded because he's been injured and hasn't really done anything over a consistent 16-game schedule. But I think he would still be a first-round prospect just because of that speed. Maybe you would have him just behind Ruggs as wide receiver four, and then you could have some debate about whether he's more well-rounded than the guy like Justin Jefferson and Mims. But he would definitely be, I still think, a top 25 pick for sure. Yeah, the one aspect, and you know, people may laugh at us for saying he would be, you know, oh, you know, top 20 pick or something this year. Again, it's because you've had a sample size that has been very inconsistent in the NFL. But people what what with the Bengals, what frustrates me with him aside from his injuries and occasional drops and things of that nature is is the Bengals usage of him at with the Huskies Ross was a real big yak guy he was a mm-hmm. short route catch the ball go type of guy because of the Bengals inefficient offensive line play because of a couple of offensive coordinators the past 2 years and other factors they haven't been able to use John Ross on that aspect. Last year, you started to see, you know, the guy who could take the, the top off a of defense and, and make some plays on, on deep routes. He did have kind of a yards after the catch big play against the 49ers in junk time, but I'm talking the screens. I'm talking end arounds, all that kind of stuff. Those, those were plays that were part and parcel of his college career where he made some big plays. It wasn't just the, the deep balls where he outrun, outran everybody. It was the yards after the catch play. So I would like to see the Bengals institute that. I know it's a little more difficult to call those when there are health concerns and whatnot, but you drafted the guy for a reason. He's got speed. He's got shiftiness. Use it. And, you know, if you're able to get the ball out quickly, get it to him in space, and he's able to make things happen, I think that's that's a plus for the Bengals. But good questions by everybody. We're going a little long, so I think we're going to get out of here. We've got a couple announcements before we do. Um, 
so we're going to do our normal Wednesday weekly show that we do. We're not trying to overload you with content. Uh, hopefully you don't feel that way, but Matt Minnick's doing a ton of chalk talk episodes uh, on, on the new acquisitions and all kinds of stuff. So check that out on our YouTube channel and our, and or our audio channels. We're doing the listener questions. We're doing our weekly show. We've, so we're, we're trying to give you a lot of content. A lot of people are, uh, you know, maybe have a little more free time than, than usual. So we're trying to get you some more content as we can. I want to make an announcement about the Wednesday show. And you mentioned his name earlier, Mike Holbrook, our listener. He's been connecting us with many former players many former Cincinnati Bengals players, particularly that of the Super Bowl era. So we are going to be kicking off Wednesday night show, if you can join us live, with Super Bowl wide receiver Tim McGee. He was a former 1,000-yard receiver with the team, played with Boomer Esiason, really excited to have him on the program. So we'll be interviewing him, talking about his experiences with the club, his outlook of the, uh, of the current club, that sort of thing. Pretty stoked to have him on on board the other thing, and, and we're, we're going to take your comments or, or requests off the air on this one, but if you want to get in touch with us, we're, we're kicking around an idea. Our friends at Bengals UK, for those uh, on Twitter that follow them, they did a cool kind of watch party of a recent, a uh, really fun Bengals game. It was the Bengals and Seahawks. They did a watch party where people on Twitter can kind of interact, and, and in these times where you can't meet up in person. A lot of people were planning on meeting up at the draft. That's probably out the window now. Um, we're talking about doing maybe a live stream of a game. Everybody hang out like you do in the chats, whether it's Facebook or YouTube. We just kind of sit around. Maybe it's a happy hour style where you bring your drink of choice and you hang out. You talk with other Bengals fans. You watch an old game and we can we can stream that through our the way we stream our our live broadcasts as well. If you are interested in us doing something like that, get in touch with us on Twitter at Bengals OBI. Shoot us an email, theobinsider at gmail.com. Get in touch with John and I on our respective own Twitter accounts. Let us know if you think that's an idea that you would be interested in. Leave it in the chat here. If that's an, inter an idea you are interested in maybe doing, especially given the landscape of what's going on in the world right now and you want to kill some time with, with more Bengals type of stuff, um, we thought about doing that and that would be more kind of a weekend thing or something like that. But if that sounds interesting to you, let us know. We'd love to hear from you. Get the show how you can subscribe to all of our audio channels, subscribe to YouTube. John, anything else I'm missing before we sign off my friend? Well, like if you guys still want to argue me about running back value, that's fine, but don't argue with me about social distancing. Keep your space, stay inside. If you, if you, if you can, and we'll get through this mess. So well, keep, keep it together guys. Yeah, hopefully sooner rather than later. I'm not a fan of it myself, but because um, I feel I get cabin fever pretty easily. But if it if it means that it ends up having to do it for less time overall, just bite the bullet, get through it, and uh, we'll all we'll all do this together and uh, help each other out. If there are other things, other people that need some help, whether it's elderly, whether it's healthcare workers and their families, um, or just just try and do your part. Just whatever it may be. Um, if, if someone's needing a charitable donation and you're able to give something to a, a worthwhile charity, whatever that may be, go do it. Um, people need things right now and they need positive things. So try and be positive and good point, John, about what you're saying. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate you hopping on with us. Thank you, everybody, for tuning in live. We'll see you Wednesday on our weekly show, Wednesday night, where Tim McGee, former Bengals wide receiver, will be joining us. And we will see you then.